The following lecture was produced by the Rhode Island Student Assistance Services with funding from the Rhode Island Department of Health. Welcome to the Rhode Island Youth Mental Health Webinar Series. This week's topic, Identifying and Supporting Your Child's Mental Health Needs, presented by Dr. Jennifer Jenks. Remember, your feedback is important to us. Please fill out the survey in the description below for your chance to win a $100 gift card. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for the Identifying and Supporting Your Child's Mental Health Needs webinar. We are pleased to have Dr. Jennifer Jenks joining us this evening, and she will be presenting on how parents can recognize the signs of a child that might be experiencing mental health challenges or even in crisis or an emergency. Dr. Jenks has been working closely with Rhode Island Student Assistance Services over the last five years in a partnership with the Suicide Prevention Initiative through Bradley Hospital KidsLink Access Center. And she will be speaking not only about those resources, but also additional resources for parents, uh, both in the community and nationally. Dr. Jenks, thank you so much for joining us this evening and I turn it over to you. Great, thank you so much, Lee. Hi, everybody. Pleasure to be here. I really enjoyed my time working with Rhode Island Student Assistance and with um, Department of Health with our suicide prevention work. Some of you may know that I have been uh, working for the last eight years at Lifespan for Bradley Hospital, and I've now made a position change, but um, have stayed active with the Suicide Prevention Initiative. So it's a real pleasure to be here with you all tonight. Our hope is to provide a webinar um, that will be somewhat interactive. So I'm hoping that people will put some information into the chat if they have questions or if I ask a question of you, um, if you'll please be prepared to write something into the chat so Lee can give me some feedback. All right. So I told, I've told you a little bit about who I am. These are the goals that we have for tonight's presentation. First of all, we want to be able to identify some signs of mental health concerns in your children or children that you work with or children that you know. We want to review some steps that you can take to assist your child or the child that you know, and very concrete steps, some small, some bigger, and then also to review some community resources that are available uh, in the in and across Rhode Island. Okay. Hopefully we'll have some time at the end, depending on how much interaction we have, hopefully we'll have some time at the end to also have some question and answer. Okay. But uh, Lee will also be putting my email address in the chat at some point uh, during the presentation. And so if you have questions and don't get a chance to get them addressed tonight, please feel free to reach out to me via email. Thanks so much. So first, we're going to talk about some physical signs. Um, we get asked a lot when I was working uh, at Bradley in the Kids Like Hotline, we get asked a lot about how do you know if your child's issues are serious enough that they need to have a professional intervene or, you know, what, what should I be looking for? So I wanted to start tonight by talking about some of the physical signs, some of the things that you will see in your day-to-day -day, uh, moving about, whether you're all working at home and schooling at home, or if some of you are coming and going. I know it's it was truly a difference for all of us. But there really are signs that our kids are giving us every single day um, that we could be reading to kind of keep our finger on the pulse, if you will, of how our kids are feeling. So I want to spend a minute, a few minutes actually, talking about physical signals. But first, let's talk about some of the mental health concerns that you might be seeing in your child. All right. So mental health concerns in general, and I just, this is obviously not an exhaustive list. There are quite a few um, that are not on this list, but I wanted to mention some and really highlight them. So the big ones that you hear about most often with kids uh, are anxiety and depression. Okay. Anxiety in times of uncertainty is natural. 
We all feel anxious to certain degrees throughout the day, throughout the week. And when something lasts as it has over the past year, it's natural to have these waves of anxiety happen. Um, Normalizing that and letting your child know that that's okay and that's something that everybody experiences can be very, very helpful. When anxiety lasts too long or gets too extreme that it gets kind of overwhelming, it can also just bring about a form of depression a form of um, feeling that hopelessness and helplessness, that things aren't going to get better. They can't see an end in sight. And so almost a why bother type depressive reaction. Other mental health concerns that are typical among kids and, um, and can be seen in a crisis such as we're going through now, anger and frustration. It may not be the first thing that you think of, but a really angry child or a frustrated child is someone who has a lot of feelings going on in reaction to their current situation and doesn't have the language or the skills to manage them. That's very often what's pushing forward the anger and frustration to come out. The same with irritability. It's another symptom, another sign that if you have a child who at baseline has some irritability, but for the most part can do, can function pretty well, when they, you see an increase in their irritability, it's something that you should take note of and think of it as a, an indicator that something else is going on that uh, needs to be addressed. I put bipolar disorder on here as well. That would typically be something that a child would have a diagnosis of before or that you would have an indication from family history or from some erratic behaviors. But I I wanted to put it here because we have been seeing over the last year that a lot of youth with bipolar disorder have been struggling in a new way for them. So I just wanted to put it out there as one mental health concern that's worth noting. Psychosis as well. It's also something that uh, you would have very distinct symptoms. And kids who struggle with psychosis are struggling in a more intense way during this crisis because they don't necessarily have the same access to care. And so it's sort of a a different group, uh, but I want to, and I'll circle back to it later, hopefully. Substance abuse, um, as you've probably seen in the press, the substance abuse rate for adults has gone way up. It's also up with kids. Um, It is a coping strategy and one that's not uh, very healthy for them. So we'll talk a little bit about resources later on and how to talk about substance use with your child. But certainly seeing it as something that people turn to for um, some sort of relief or distraction or pleasure. But again, it's not going to be functional for them in this during this crisis. ADHD, certainly with virtual learning, um, I'm seeing with folks that I work with and folks that have been families that have been called into the Kids Link hotline are really struggling because kids with ADHD, regardless of what how their symptoms present, can have a very difficult time trying to learn and motivate themselves and stay engaged and get work done and handed in. So we've asked them, we're challenging them on a daily basis. And so um, that's one of the many mental health concerns that you can see. And then PTSD. This has been a really challenging year in so many ways. There have been so many dramatic events happening for kids and families that would not be uncommon to see post-traumatic response, especially even just this prolonged stressor on families can have a very big response. So um, that's one of the other concerns. Obviously, it's not an exhaustive list, but it's just a handful. I wanted to kind of clarify what I meant by mental health concerns.
So let's first talk about some of the physical signs. And I want you to think about the child. You're, you're here tonight for a reason. Um, you wanted to kind of hear something about how do I know if my kid's having um, any kind of mental health concern or struggling in any way. The physical signs, think for a moment about what you have noticed. And I'll review my list, but maybe you can add some in the list uh, for Lee to, to comment on when I get through. Um, some of the obvious ones would be change in appetite. Is your child eating less? Or is your child eating significantly more? Could be either one. Um, have your child's food needs changed dramatically where it's suddenly become a problem when it hasn't before? Is there a dramatic change in energy level? Is your child suddenly lethargic? I know a number of folks that I've spoken with feel that they have no energy at all, that their motivation has really dropped. So just looking at their energy level and trying to understand what's behind that. Changes in sleep schedule is another common issue that we're hearing about from families. So sleep schedule, meaning do they fall asleep at the same time each night? Are they sleeping enough hours or are they sleeping too many hours? For teenagers during this pandemic, we've noticed that there have been a number of kids staying up very late, um, later even than typical teenagers, and seeing that as a sign that something they aren't feeling well, and that's part of what is promoting this, the change in sleep cycle. Obviously, with teenagers, there can be a lot of reasons why they're staying awake late at night but one of them could be a sign that they're just not feeling well. Again, oversleeping is the same thing. Is your child napping during the day or sleeping uh, for too long a period at night? Um, it's something worth you know having a discussion about and looking into. Isolating is another major concern. Um, obviously, during periods of time when folks are quarantined, um, it's hard to tell the difference between quarantining and isolating. Although, um, even in quarantine, you can have interaction with each other and with others virtually. So, keeping an eye on how isolated uh, your child's becoming is so important. Are they talking with friends? Are they staying connected with family? Or what kinds of things are they doing? Some video games, it can seem like a child is just playing the video game, but are they actually interacting with friends on the game? Is there any way to increase how much they're interacting just to decrease their isolation? Decrease in communication in general. You know your children or the child that you're here tonight for. They communicate in a typical pattern when they're doing well. If you're looking for changes in communication, it might mean that they're talking more. It may mean that they're talking redundantly. They're repeating themselves. They're perhaps even more demanding. They want or need more communication. All of those could be signs that they're going through something that needs some of your attention. Hygiene is another major physical sign to look for. And again, one that as folks have been at home for a long period of time, it is not atypical to see kids not attending to their hygiene routines. So they're not showering, they're not brushing the teeth even. I saw something on the news that said that most people, I think they said 50% of people that they pulled said they were not brushing their teeth in the morning at this point under quarantine. So it's something that as a, as a large group, we, we should be keeping an eye on. But again, it's typically a sign that is associated with depression. So it's something that we want to take seriously. Pessimistic language. I like this one um, and I try and remind people of it because it's normal at times to feel pessimistic. Um, you might hear your child say, oh, I have a big test tomorrow. I'm going to fail. I'm not going to do a good job. You, a little bit of that language is okay. But if it persists and it becomes what people, the way that your child is talking most of the time, again, that's a major sign that they're not feeling well and they've lost some perspective and hopefulness about um, how things are going to go in the future. Destruction of property and apathy 
I think it's very common for parents when they see a child acting out or breaking things or appearing not to care about other people as they're going through things to feel distressed, uh, disappointed in their child, to feel like they need to act with discipline. I would add to that list, parents do obviously need to keep children safe and keep the household safe. But I think that's also important to see that as a sign where prior to the current situation we're in now, we might have seen that as delinquent behavior. I would strongly encourage people to see that as cry for help as well. So what kinds of supports or what, what could your child be trying to show you when they get so distressed that they, they are dysregulated and just destroy property around the house? Self-harm is another one that we get a lot of questions about um, if uh, children are cutting or if they burn themselves or, or self-harm in any way. Um, that's one that typically gets parents' attention right away. And it's one that would call them to call the Kids Link hotline. I put it on this list tonight because I do feel like parents should check in if their child has a history of self-harm or if they're worried that this is happening. Using very direct language around it is very helpful. So to ask a child in particular, do you do any cutting or has there ever been a time when you've thought about doing this. Um, engaging them in conversation is really the best way to flesh out what's going on for them, whether or not this is something that needs to be addressed. Harm to others, including pets. Again, we get a number of calls with parents talking about their children being extra aggressive or harmful. If your child is behaving in a way that's different than they have behaved before, I would see it as something that needs to be understood in terms of what's what's driving that behavior. Delinquent acts, I've sort of said that already, but there could be other delinquent acts as well. You might find that your child has been stealing or your, your child has been doing things, cheating maybe, things that they haven't done before. Again, it may not be what we would typically prior to this situation have assumed, it may really be a warning sign that they're not doing well, not feeling well, and that they need some extra emotional supports. Let me just take a pause here. Um, do people want to put in the chat any other physical signs, things that I missed? I think you can move on, Dr. Jenks. Uh, no one has put anything in the chat, but what I did do is put the Kids Link hotline in the chat for people to jot down. Great. Awesome. Okay, so let's move on to emotional signs, cues that our kids give us that they are struggling emotionally. And these are often more comfortable ones and more obvious ones for us to see. We'll talk about both the physical signals, they write the emotional signals that they give us, as well as some of the nonverbals um, and some of the words that they choose to use when they're really feeling distressed. The first one being tearfulness and excessive crying. When kids are distressed, they often, if, if they are episodically tearful or crying for long periods, periods of time and that hasn't happened, that's a really big indicator. Sometimes it's frustrating for parents if you're working for home and you're trying really hard to keep your child engaged with school and manage the household. If there are other kids competing for your needs, it can be very hard to manage a child and it can be tempting to respond in a behavioral capacity, right? To sort of restrict what they're doing or to separate them from the other kids. But instead, um, we'll talk a little bit about what you can do in a few slides, but instead it, it actually is helpful to try to create some soothing for that child so that they are able to settle in the moment and, and perhaps have the, the um, tearfulness periods shorten. Worrying is another. Kids are very worried, regardless of whether or not they're telling us they're worried. They know that we are in a time that has not happened 
quite like this before. And so um, they will have some worries going on for them and that will take up some of their energy and some of their attention. So one of the biggest things you can look for is the what ifs question. So if your child is coming to you and saying, well, what if this happens and what if that happens? That's an indicator that they're spending time worrying about things. Kids are not that easily reassured when they're worriers. So it's not so easy as to say like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. In fact, it, it sometimes helps them to just straight up listen to them and um, even sometimes take a note of what those particular worries are, provide some reassurance that time and attention goes a long way. It will help them not to continue with the worries repeating in their head, but instead to sort of soothe themselves and to move on hopefully to, to the next thing that they need to do. Another key emotional sign would be if your child is particularly withdrawn. It can look like isolation. So an isolated child is withdrawn, but um, your child might be in your presence and not engaged. And that's something that um, I wanted to split out from just being isolated, that your child might be very quiet, might be not responding when you talk with them the first or second time. Um, They might appear even distracted or like they're not paying attention to you. But that might just be because they're either managing worries in their mind or because they're just not feeling well from a mental health perspective. This next one is really important too, I think. It's not one that's often talked about, but when kids use hateful or hurtful language, we're, we for a long time, the last couple months, we've been getting calls from families talking about their children using terrible language and saying terrible things to them when that has not been their child's typical behavior. It's very natural response to feel hurt by those comments and to maybe even react from a disciplinarian perspective. But that language is typically can can often mean that their child is struggling with an emotional or mental health issue. So it's worth um, having a conversation in a quiet moment, not in the heat of an emotional moment. But instead to um, address it in a quiet moment and ask the child where that language is coming from, what what does it mean for them, and to set a, a goal as a family about trying to extinguish that language so that people aren't speaking that way to each other. Decreased energy, another emotional sign. Um, if your child um, typically has a lot of energy, you can obviously notice if they are changing their level of energy and, and use that as something that you can question. You can ask them about what that decrease in energy is about. It may just be a regular thing, or it could be something more important, but it's recognizing that energy level is related to our mood. Shakiness and jitters is one of the more obvious signs. Um, you might see your child sort of actually physically looking pale or a little bit jittery, and that's a good time to check in with them and ask them and, and help them put some language to how they're feeling. For example, a, a child might recognize that they're feeling physically uncomfortable, but they may not know that's because they're worried or because they're having anxiety about something, especially with younger children who haven't made that connection yet. It can be very helpful to have a conversation about what they're, how the nervous system works, about how, how anxiety works in general, and to kind of help them understand that behavior. Right. And separation anxiety is another one that we've seen an increase in. Um, a child who has been able to go off to friends' houses or typically can separate well. Um, in the last year, this disruption in our way of socializing has really made a big difference for some folks. And uh, we are hearing a number of parents talk about separation anxiety becoming an issue. Just like kids who regress, who sort of step back from milestones that they've achieved, they sort of step backwards a little bit under just 
stress. It's normal to see that some kids are going to struggle during this this time. And the separation anxiety is really a result of other anxieties building up for them. So again, it warrants a conversation. We'll talk in a little bit about how to talk to kids about this, but usually talking about it and practicing are the strategies that are best to resolve separation anxiety. Nonverbal cues. These are the things that are so important. These are the most obvious signs that we see all around us. If we couldn't have a conversation about how we were feeling, these are the things that we would be seeing that would be the biggest indicators. And again, I put some of the most obvious ones on there, but I'd like to put it out there in the chat. What are you all seeing in your children? What are some of the cues that you're getting? Overeating. Mm-hmm. Clinginess. Yep. Clinginess. Exactly. Not making eye contact. Mm-hmm. That's actually, that's an excellent one. Not making eye contact um, is usually a sign of overwhelm, right? So to be um, making eye contact is really making a connection. And there's um, there's a lot of emotion around that. And so some kids, part of how they regulate themselves is not making that eye contact or making it less. It's sort of relieving to them. But that's a really good sign that, that um, they may be struggling. So and clinginess is a lot of that goes hand in hand with separation anxiety, right? If you can't leave your child without them having an emotional upset or a strong reaction, that clinginess is their way of preventing any kind of separation, right? They need more because they're so anxious. Anger, it's another good one. Lee, I missed the one before anger. Uh, moodiness, anxiety, and wants to be home all the time. Actually, it might have been moodiness and anxiousness, wants to be home all the time. Yep. And I'll just talk about silence for a minute because that's a tricky one. If um, if you're a verbal parent and you really are worried about your kid and you want to have a discussion with them, you you might want to get to the to the bottom of what's going on with them. And you might have great skills, but your child might be quiet because they're not exactly sure how to put their feelings into words. So it might be um, that you need to step back and help them by teaching them the language of how to express their emotions. So whether it's by using books or worksheets or tons of resources available online to be able to give them language, you know, so that they then can turn it back and, and give it to you when you're asking them how they're feeling. You can help them connect the physical symptoms in their body with language so that they can get better at responding to you. Some kids, even if they're silent, and this is a little bit more of a therapist response, but I would even try writing to them. You might try having a journal that you could pass back and forth with your child or having them draw how they feel. This is particularly good for young children because they can, they can access different parts of themselves with pictures than they can with words. So just a couple of ideas. So what are your kids saying? And this is one you can put some things in the chat for me. But with the intensity of the last few months, uh, what we've been hearing about are things like, I hate you. My life sucks. I wish I was dead or worse. This will never end. Um, I'm scared. So some really bold language about hopelessness and helplessness. And as a parent, especially a parent who's under stress and duress themselves, it can be hard to know exactly how do I respond to this? It can be tempting to want to fix it and say, you're fine. Everything's going to be okay. Don't worry. And to give a sort of a quick fix reaction. And when we get to the, the slides about further on about what to actually do, we can talk some more about it. But it's okay if your child is using this language. It's okay. It's an expression of how intensely they are feeling. And it's okay as a parent to read it as that. So to feel like this will never end is a very strong expression of hopelessness. And even as an adult, I think we can all feel that at some certain times, it can be hard to live with not knowing how long this is going to go on for. But we have skills that we can use to help us go through periods of time that are unknown. Okay, so and we'll talk about that in a little bit. 
I often get asked about what to do when a child says that they wish their life was over, they think about killing themselves. And we'll talk specifically about suicidality. Lee, don't let me forget if I if I move too quickly and I don't come back to that. But I think it's really important to address suicidality specifically in this workshop because it's one that people, when they feel this hopeless and this uncertain, they are going to be more at risk. So we'll talk specifically about that. Any comments in the chat about what your kids are saying at home? Thus far, there are no remarks or chats. Okay. So I put some of the more extreme ones up here, but you may have some other ones that, yes, will this ever end, right? In the question form, exactly. And that's a hard one to answer when we don't have answers. I hate you is a big one. Yep. I'm bored. Yep. I'm bored. Yep. Exactly. With I'm bored, I think it's okay to let kids know. I get it. And sometimes I'm bored too, because you know you want them to understand that you've heard them and there really is no quick fix. If you can't immediately gratify your child or change the situation, that they're not, it's not going to be a quick enough fix for them. So it's about kind of showing them that you can at least understand how they're feeling and that you're there with them. Yep. No one understands me. That's another really good one. We'll come back to that one in a little bit. It's not fair. Quote, other kids are. Yep. And the kids have experienced a lot of loss. Kids have lost graduations. They've lost birthdays, ceremonies, sleepovers, get togethers. They haven't seen family. So there's a tremendous amount of loss. And that, that alone is a lot. But then you add any kind of um, distress around housing or food or any kind of change in the family or loss of family members, that just compounds how much they're feeling and how much this, this experience is going to have on them. All right. So behavioral signs are very similar to the physical signs. You'll see some overlap, but I purposely keep them separated because some of the behaviors are different enough. Talked about distraction. Truancy is another big one. It is one of the more obvious ones. You know, if your child's not going to school because the school is probably chasing you to get them online, they're virtual. So uh, truancy can be, again, it's another behavioral sign of, I just don't have it in me. I just can't do it. Cannot manage this, this situation. Overusing tech. Uh, this is a very common one right now. I think I'm, I'm hearing screen times of 12 hours a day from some kids just between school and entertainment and seeing friends and family. It's just the, the, the tech time has become a very major issue. But if your child is overusing tech and never choosing anything else or only using that as a coping strategy, we'll talk about ways to kind of introduce other things that they can do that will help them better. Now, we talked a little bit about substance use and abuse and self-injury. The one thing I wanted to note about self-injury here is that very often kids will say, it helps me feel something. So they're talking about emotional numbing where during this time, they're not feeling. They're feeling so disconnected from people, so disconnected from the life that they had before that they feel so numb. And again, they turn to self-injury as a way of feeling something. That isn't true for all kids. It doesn't always solve that problem for some, but for the ones that it does, it's important to, we'll talk about some professionals in the community that can be helpful, but to talk with somebody and get some perspective on how significant the self-injury is and other ways that they can get um, some relief. Stealing, destruction of property, that sense of who cares doesn't make any difference, especially around the house where home used to have a different meaning for people when people would come over. Now, maybe they don't care as much because people aren't coming over to visit. doesn't matter if it's clean. Um, they've sort of lost their connection to some of the old routines of, of taking care of the house. Bullying is one that I think is particularly important to mention, especially in this online environment. It is so easy for bullying to take place and so hard for all of the adults who would like to 
help out and and not have it be an issue. They'd like to be able to identify and prevent bullying. Um, it's very hard to detect given this new environment. So I think bullying is one to watch out for, to listen in if you're periodically hearing your child on virtual learning environment um, or hearing them talk about their friends, to listen for the kinds of behaviors that might be associated with bullying, like any kind of threat or um, shaming of another peer. If you're hearing something, see it as a sign that your child needs someone to talk to. Um, they need to, uh, to understand the behavior and the impact of it. And likely it's coming from something that's going on for them. It's worth checking in with them about. Aggression, same thing. Promiscuity and sexting is another one that's very hard to monitor right now. Uh, we have been getting more and more calls about parents concerned about their kids connecting with people online and trying to go and meet up with them or sending inappropriate messages as much as possible. Uh, again, engaging in a large support network, we're going to talk about that soon, is going to be super helpful for you, but also engaging your child in conversation. Conversation, especially without criticism, to keep the door open for conversation. If you're worried that your child is doing things, becoming angry or punishing them might close the door to a true conversation and may set them up for further risk. So it's worth trying to have as much connection and, and as much overview to be checking tech. I'm hearing from so many families that they're overwhelmed and stressed by how much they have to do that it's hard to take on one more thing, especially even safety proofing their child's tech. But it is one that is invaluable and really critical during this time. And the last one is sort of the global making poor choices. And you can all think of something uh, from, from your child's uh, repertoire of behaviors that may not be the best choice, but I wanted to put it out there because there are so many choices that kids could be making that, that right now are really a sign that we need to watch out for them even more. All right. So just some in general tips and um, please feel free to put some items in the chat if there are some additional ones that you can think of that I didn't list. In general, addressing the behaviors early is always best, right? So the first time there's an incident where something gets broken or the first few times that there's aggression in the home to really almost call a family timeout and take some time to really address what's going on and try and get to the bottom of it. The longer the behavior goes on, the more entrenched it can become and the less insight the child might have into why it's happening. So the less productive the conversations might become. Dr. Jenks, is this yeah. a good time to uh, introduce or talk more about when a child might be making statements that could lead to suicidality? Um, sure. Yeah. I was going in a different direction, so I'm, uh, but I can certainly pivot. Yeah, I think... Um, Especially with, as Lee's pointing out, that if your child um, is making any kind of comments about wishing they were dead, wishing that their life was over, or they could just go to sleep and not wake up. In general, we recommend that parents take that seriously every single time a child says it and to really help them understand that we take that language very seriously. And that's a sign that we would get professionals involved um, if it gets to that point. If a child is using that language in any way to be manipulative, and some kids do, not many, but some kids do, that usually resolves that issue as well. If they feel like you're going to be taking it seriously and they're going to have to talk to a professional, they will learn that that behavior doesn't get them what they want, which might be attention or resolving of some sort of consequence at home. But in general, we have a lot of parents that ask whether or not it's okay to talk about suicide with their child. They fear that if they bring it up, it might actually create new behaviors or it might bring on suicide, suicidal ideation. But that has not been founded. That is not something that happens. And, and we actually recommend the opposite, that it's okay to talk about it. And it's okay. It's even okay if somebody has those thoughts. It's what they do when they have those thoughts. That's really important. So sharing them with people, using 
using some of their coping strategies. And again, in a future slide, we'll talk a little bit more about how to intervene. The younger the child is, the easier it is to address behaviors. So we sometimes parents will say, well, and my child's been doing this for five years. That always makes it harder. They're five years older. They are stronger. They are bigger. So in general, addressing things when your child is younger is, is always easier. Getting support for yourself is incredibly important. This is what I was referencing before about getting a support network. Now more than ever, parents need other parents, family members, friends, professionals, folks from religious organizations, their community, build as much of a support network as possible. You may already have been doing this, and if you have, great keep adding it. But if you're a person who's been trying to manage things at home on your own, or um, maybe you have some reluctance about opening up and letting people know what's going on, I really encourage you to let some people in to broaden your support network so that you have a variety of people supporting you, giving you ideas, and maybe even supporting your child. Um, having some other support people in a child's life is incredibly important as well. So keeping that support network going. And then professional help. We'll talk about all the different options that are available around Rhode Island. There are so many people right now who are wanting to provide their professional help for kids and families in distress. But don't be afraid to reach out to professionals. Even if you just um, have some questions, we're going to give you some hotline information. You can talk to somebody over the phone and get ideas. And you can actually even work with a, a clinician as a parent to ask questions about a child and the best course of action to respond to it child. Okay, so this is, this is what you came here for today. What can you do? What are some concrete things you could start doing right this minute that would really make a difference for the kids that you're worried about? You might be tired. If you've heard me speak before, you know that number one is number one. The most important thing you can do is take care of yourself. Now, we are past the point of just saying that self-care is important. It is now critical. So, so, so important. We're in the middle of a very long event and it's going to take time and energy to get through it. And it's going to require us to be in our best shape. So think about ways that you can take care of yourself. It might mean taking a nap. It might mean doing a little bit of meditation. It might mean doing some exercise, taking some time to yourself, being able to just get outside and get some fresh air. Whatever you can do to take care of yourself will ripple through all those people around you, okay? And it will make you stronger to be able to help the child that you're here uh, for tonight or the children, okay? It is critical. It can be hard to do. I'm not going to deny it. Even for me, it can be hard to get myself to focus on taking care of me. But the times that I absolutely do it and I hold myself accountable for it, it always works. So the number one thing you can do is take care of yourself. You're also modeling for those around you. You might be modeling for people at work. You might be modeling for your kids, but people are watching each other's behavior and impacted by them all day long. Okay. So if you're in control of your emotions and you're taking good care of yourself, you are going to be doing, taking a huge step towards helping those you love get through this crisis. Emotional regulation is one of the most important things that we do as parents or adults that love kids. We aren't born Born with an innate ability to manage our emotions, right? Think about a crying infant or a toddler who's having a tantrum. It is something that is learned over time in the interactions between adult and children. So that is so important. It's embedded in how our brain forms even as, um, our, as a child develops. So managing uh, and modeling that kind of regulation of affect is so, so, so important for this time as well. If your child sees you recognizing your own emotions, talking about them, 
if they get out of control, let's say you raise your voice or let's say you throw something, even, you know, something happens um, and you recognize it and you talk about it and you resolve it, you are modeling for your child um, for the rest of their life. They are going to be taking in those lessons from you. The opposite is also true. If they have people in their life that are not managing their emotions, they will be learning those behaviors. Um, They will take in, kids are like sponges. They will take in what they see so much more than what they hear. So they will be learning those behaviors. So make sure you're aware of who they're around and what kinds of situations they're in. Manage your worries with trusted adults. I think I spoke to that in terms of the support network that it is never a a, a done system that you can always add to your support network, find new people, get new ideas, even coming here tonight. um, I wish we could make it. It's a nice big group, but I wish we could make it a little more interactive because I think if people were able to share some of the successes that they're having, you might go home with one or two or or turn off your computer and have one or two more ideas in your repertoire of things that you do at home. Providing structure and consistency. This is so important. It's always important with parenting, you know, but it's incredibly important now. I find myself, again, I'll just use my personal circumstance. There are times that I'm really good about keeping a schedule and keeping things routine at home. And then there are times I move away from and I get too busy, get too stressed. Something happens, takes my focus away. So it's really important to kind of just remind yourself if you had, if your kids are older, you know, when they were toddlers, you might've been really careful about their schedule and their structure. Well, now's another time to kind of go back and try and put that back into place. It makes life predictable. It gives them a sense of feeling of control and it's easy to do, right? You can create a schedule. You can create sort of have meals at a similar time. You can have family expectations that you had before, but you've moved away from where maybe you used to sit and eat at a table, but you've moved towards eating and watching TV. You know, you can go back you can bring those routines back and provide some structure for them. Media coverage, very, very controversial. Every time I bring this up, I have some pushback from people. I think there is so much information and misinformation out and about. It's worth knowing what your children are exposed to and trying to minimize how much they're hearing. You might be able to watch a broadcast of some kind and be able to make a decision about, oh, this is this doesn't make sense. This isn't true. I don't believe that. Children don't have that ability. In fact, what they are impacted by the most is the tone, the images. It's not something that's rational for them. So it's really important to think about what they see. And if they do see something you feel they shouldn't, to address it right away to talk with them about it, to try and explain it, to see if they have any questions, to try and minimize any impact that it has. Talk often with your child. I can't emphasize enough how important it is. And um, if your children are like mine, they go through phases where they don't want to talk at all. But you're trying to talk with them makes a big difference. Okay, so even if you don't feel successful, you're not getting the reaction that you want, or you don't have the best conversation, the fact that you're trying to talk with them about how they're feeling makes a difference. I think of it as like those mini Legos. If your child plays with Legos, they're so small and they seem like they're not going to build up to something important. But if you have enough of them and you build them up, they really can make a a strong wall, just like any other Lego piece. So um, it seems like a small thing, but trying to talk to your child, if, if If you just give up and say, oh, they don't want to talk to me or they, you know, they're just going to tell me to go away. That has the wrong kind of impact. You want to keep trying and telling them that you're going to be there and you're going to keep trying, even if your child doesn't give in to talk. Sitting with your child multiple times a day, being present for conversation and play. I don't know about you, but I find this virtual world has become very distracting. 
I might get a text message or I might think I have to respond to something. It's very easy to get pulled in a lot of directions and it creates a sense of chaos and in lack of availability for, for children and families. So making a really concerted effort to be present when you are having a conversation, don't let social media, don't let telephones or devices intervene. Really try to be present. Again, your children are like sponges. They will be learning from your behavior. If you're distracted and not paying attention and listening to them, they will do the same. Whether it's today, next week, next month, the, the behavior will be seen in them at some point. So make a point. And again, you can use put words around it. If you feel like you've been doing uh, that behavior or that's happening in your household, feel free to talk about it with your kids. Gee, I realize that we have been less present for each other. We haven't been able to sit and, and focus on each other. How do you guys feel about it? What can we do about it? Make it a point of family discussion. Um, short and long-term incentives have always been a great parenting strategy to kind of get the behaviors you want, but now it can be really helpful also with creating some perspective and some hopefulness. So, so whether you set a family goal with a reward or you know a short-term thing or long-term thing, using those uh, rewards systems to try and kind of engage your child and get them motivated. I think a lot of those what we've seen with kids, I've been talking with a lot of pediatricians and what they notice is that parents are not using the same parenting strategies because they're so overwhelmed and going through so much at the same time. So just a, a gentle reminder to go back to those. Focusing on hope. Hope is so critical right now to give your child a perspective. Just heard the Texas governor say tough times pass and tough people prevail, something along those lines. And I think, you know, conveying to your child that as hard as this is, you're strong enough as a family unit to get through it and to, to get to the other side. I'm sure you can think of um, other opportunities to create hope. And if you can't look online, there are lots of people doing some really exciting things with art and entertainment and to really just try and inspire people that you can make a difference and that this will pass. Creating a soothing space and environment. This is one of my favorite ones. I like to incorporate, and I used to do this in the, the emergency service I worked at, whether you use something that smells good or soothing lighting to really think about the environment that you're in and make it as pleasing as possible. It can be so, so simple as just having some plants around or using essential oils, anything that smells soothing to sort of remind people and ground them in your space and even peaceful music. People, I think, for sometimes forget about the importance of music and how it can create relaxation as well. So we're setting aside some dedicated time and maybe get your kids to weigh in too on what makes the, the environment, what would help to make the environment more peaceful. Exercise. The number one thing you can do for yourself, but also with your child to release a lot of the challenging emotions that you may be feeling or your child may be feeling and to sort of get your body to regulate itself biologically. So, so, so important to be playful to and to get some exercise to really help your body regulate itself. Um, there are other countries where exercise is the number one prescription for anxiety and depression. That's the number one recommendation by psychologists and psychiatrists. So it definitely helps. Um, I tell everybody that I've ever worked with that exercise is something that everybody should be trying to do. It doesn't matter if it's jumping jacks in your living room or an online Zumba class, whatever it is, any kind of movement is going to help your body regulate itself. So it's going to help them and help you potentially as well. Provide positive escapes from the current situation, creating those moments, those ways of getting away that are safe um, for the current guidelines, but also sort of uh, change perspective. That might mean laying outside on the grass and looking up at the stars. It might mean going to the beach. It might mean walking in a, a local park, somehow getting a different escape um, from the current situation. Drinking water. 
This is one of the most basic ones and probably one of the easiest ones to implement. This time of year, especially in New England, people are so impacted by dehydration. So I always like to remind people that drinking water really helps with energy. It helps your body function at its best when your body is under stress and duress. Just drinking additional water, getting up to that eight glasses of water is a big one. And again, you're modeling for your children. It's a small thing, but it's, I would say, as important as eating good food. Drinking plenty of water is really so, so important. Um, and then setting reasonable expectations for you and your child. If you are struggling, let's say you set up a goal for yourself and you didn't reach it, you know, making sure that you're you're not expecting too much, that it does take some energy to manage what's going on in all of our lives. And so being kind and gentle to yourself. Again, you're modeling that for your children. It's okay to try to accomplish things. Um, and if you fall short, to be kind to yourself and forgive. I came up with this next one. Um, it's a very simple graphic. I couldn't find one that I, I really loved, but really this is just a demonstration of how easy it is to implement something. You could decide tonight or tomorrow morning just to start now. It doesn't matter what you've been doing for the last year. It really doesn't. You could start tomorrow with a new idea, perhaps from tonight or perhaps from some other place that you've been thinking about. And it could be as simple as, you know, taking a few minutes to make a list of things, some concrete things that you've heard tonight or been thinking about that you could put in place to make your yourselves or your, your child's life better. Create a schedule. Again, that structure and consistency. And then adding a goal or two. If it's you don't have much time, energy, or bandwidth to take on something new, I completely understand. Maybe start with something as simple as, I'm going to carry a water bottle and I will make it a goal to double the amount of water I've been drinking this week. So you can make it just a very small goal. Also in your schedule, think about adding some fun and joy. Humor is so, so important to make, to cope with duress and stress. So adding those points of humor, whether it's a funny movie or telling jokes, whatever it is to find those moments of joy. I also added here, continuing to learn. I think that also provides a certain amount of hope if you're willing to learn, whether it's a language or how to cook something or a musical instrument, learning something new moves you out of the current moment and brings you into sort of a future state. So if you're, if you're trying to learn Spanish, for example, and you have you don't know Spanish yet, you're working towards something that is in the future. You're going to be able to speak Spanish someday and maybe you'll visit a country or you'll visit some people who speak Spanish. So, um, or if you want to learn how to paint, you're getting to, you're, you're planning for a time when you will have a skill that you don't have now. And so it creates its own kind of hopefulness, but it's also a great coping strategy. And then finally, just staying strong to remind yourself that you are doing a good job. You can get through this. You know, our mind believes the thoughts that we repeat over and over in our heads. So if you say to yourself over and over, oh, this is never going to end. I, I can't do this. If you have those types of uh, more negative thoughts, your brain will believe that and your, your biology will respond to that. But if you can remind yourself that you are doing the best that you can and you're willing to try new things and, and you're using more positive language, you will find that you feel better, feel stronger. Let's see, so I want to get to the next resource slide before we run out of time because these resources, um, Rhode Island has a tremendous number of resources available during this COVID crisis. We've had a great array of services for kids uh, right along, but all, uh, almost everyone um, has expanded what 
they're offering to try and meet the needs of the community. For example, DCYF, it used to be that many of their services were only available to children in DCYF custody or care, and that's no longer the case. They've been able to expand services to kids and families not engaged with the agency before. The KidsLink RI is a, a line available. You can call it anytime, day or night, 24-7, and speak with a master's level clinician about concerns that you're having about a child. So certainly they are a great place to call if you have a crisis, but you can also call if you just have a question. If you're not sure what your child's symptoms mean and you want to speak to someone like myself who's a clinician and has experience. Suicide Prevention Lifeline is also there for you. They are a wonderful resource as well as BH Link, which is a crisis center and a hotline for adults. Primary care, please don't forget that your primary care providers, your pediatrician's offices also have mental health providers embedded in their practices. So they can be a great resource. And all the community mental health centers around Rhode Island have been expanding what they're offering for families. Um, schools as well, they have uh, embedded clinicians. So there are plenty of folks around Rhode Island that are really wanting to create a net to support kids and families during this crisis. Thank you so much for your time and attention and for letting me come and speak with you tonight. If you have additional questions, um, I know that Lee is monitoring the chat. And again, feel free to send me a, an email. Well, Dr. Jakes, thank you so much on behalf You're of welcome. Student Assistance Services. Uh, we thank you for being here tonight. We're very grateful for you taking the time and for all of you who participated and took the time out of your evening to join us. There will be a survey that will be sent to you. We really encourage you to complete that. Um, that way we know, you know what your experience was, if you would like any additional topics as far as our series. Uh, and we look forward to seeing you at one of our next presentations. Thank you, Dr. Jenks. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. To find more content like this and see the video version of these webinars, please see the links in the description below. If you like this one, please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.